When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back. This is the Fordham preview episode of talking out loud still the number one podcast in the atlantic 10 and for you the dayton flyers basketball fan i got drew with me as i always do and i have a special guest today he does the play-by-play for the fordham rams andrew bogish and you know i had him on the podcast because i went to twitter i guess this was late friday and i said if my tweet gets 50 likes i should have set the bar higher but i said if i if it gets 50 likes We'll do a preview episode for Fordham, all right? So I got to give you people what you want. You requested it, and you got it. This is the Fordham preview episode. Dayton had the whole weekend off, which will be the last time that they do have a whole weekend off for the rest of the season. They had that game against St. Joe's, a winner 76-56. That was a 20-point winner last Wednesday. Weekend off, and now they're going to Fordham, Rose Hill Gym, on Tuesday night to take on the Fordham Rams, and that's going to be a 7 o'clock tip. So to get you ready for that game, I brought on their play-by-play man again, Andrew Bogish. And Andrew, thank you for joining the program. It is a delight to have you. I don't believe we've ever had somebody that's covered the Fordham Rams join the show. So this is the first Well, thanks for having me, and I'm, uh, I'm honored to be number one on that list. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it, it just comes from the fact that, uh, Drew, I think we, we like struggle just finding Fordham fans in the fray, don't we? You know, Truly. That's, that, yeah, it's tough, man. It's, it's hard out here. I mean, you're talking about a program uh, for, for everybody's reference. Uh, I, and I've done this many a time, Andrew, where I have talked about uh, Fordham struggles, right? And is the A-10 the best place for them? I, I guess we can start there. You know, we're heading into 
what, 25 years of Fordham in the A-10 now? Maybe we're closer to 30. I think this is the 28th season the Fordham's been in the A-10. They've won more than nine games once, and they've never finished higher than fourth. So I ask this question all the time, and, and you're close to the program, so you can probably give us a nuanced take on it. But is the A-10 the best place for Fordham? Your thoughts? So that's a big question, and obviously it's one that has been kind of debated by everybody around the program for a long time now. And you know, there's kind of two distinct groups. There's, um, I guess, older fans, so to speak, um, that remember Patriot League and Mac success and kind of see that as the place where this program should be. And then there are people like me who think that this program can be successful in the Atlantic 10 with all the right things around it. Um, and I've known Fordham's athletic director, Ed Cole, for a long time before he was at Fordham. And now he's I'm terrible with numbers. Um, he had the job on an interim basis. Now he's the full-time guy at three, four, five years. Um, and I think Ed's got the right vision. He's rallied. Um, there's new support. There's extended support from alumni. There's a little more reach into New York City trying to drum up more attention and more support for the school. Um, there's no doubt that Ed hit a home run hiring Kyle Neptune a little more than a year ago to be the head coach last year. Kyle did a great job kind of rebuilding or maybe even recreating for the first time there's this kind of culture of winning and success around the program, like how to, how to get that accomplished. And, you know, the universe threw forward a curveball by having Jay Wright decide to retire and Kyle went back there and his right-hand man is now in charge. So they, you know, the continuity is important. The school's got some big plans. They're right now in the middle of major renovations on campus for all student, uh, but they, the, the multi-student, uh, the multi-use kind of student center. There are specific plans for athletics that if they come to fruition should help as well. Um, so I think Fordham right now is giving itself its best chance to be good long-term in the Atlantic 10. And I mean, not for nothing, man, but they're good in other sports too. I mean, I guess that's what you hang your hat on right now. If you're, you know, Fordham's AD and, you know, you know, him personally, I, I totally get it. Like it's, it's a hard discussion and I don't mean to like start the podcast on like a negative tone or anything like that, but it's a legitimate question when you look at the basketball program, not being able to succeed for all these years, but that's, it, it, it's the most important piece of the pie, but uh, it's not the only piece, right? And um, I, I do, when I look around the entire athletics landscape, I mean, Fordham has been winning championships in other sports, and that, that matters too, right? You got to take a look at the whole picture. Softball has been good in the Atlantic 10. Men's soccer went deep in the NCAA tournament recently. And the women's basketball program has been perennially good for more than a decade now. And in fact, as we're about to, they're about to tip off um, against your Flyers this afternoon. Yep. And, you know, it's not apples to apples. I understand that. But in similar ways, I think the women's program has shown the men's program that there is success to be out there. It's not going to look exactly the same. You know, Fordham and... St. Joe's and GW, like the smaller kind of private schools are always going to have battles with the bigger non-private schools in terms of support and budget and arenas and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I think what Fordham can, where to me Fordham would find its success is with the ability to, you know, recruit freshmen that are there for multiple years, creating like a core group you mix in with a veteran transfer here or there. And, you know, not every year is going to be 20 wins, not every year can be postseason. But, you know, on a cycle where 
those young kids build and then their junior and senior years are really good. And then maybe there's a little bit of a step back while you rebuild again. And then there's two more, three years of legit competition. I think that to me is where this school can, um, can kind of live in this conference and have a couple, you know, every once in a while, not every once in a while, that doesn't sound like enough, but you know, two or three years at a time have uh, a chance to make a significant impact in the league. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, no, we bring no, up the, the fact that you guys are in New York city and how, difficult of a place that that can be to get recruits with just the amount of schools that are in not only New York City but just in the greater Northeast area are is Fordham taking steps to try and keep kids at home or are they more so looking to the on the outside to come into the program well you know that's a that's been a big question for everybody in New York a lot for a long time the best New York kids didn't go to even to St. John's they just they just left the city because they wanted to play in especially when we started to get schools moving around and they kind of left the conference that made geographical sense. Um, you know, Pitt being in the ACC is, is weird and sitting there close to New York and kids wanted to play there. So they went to you know, they wanted to play in that league. So they went to Pitt or they went to, you know, to a, a closer, you know, Rutgers being in the big 10 changes the Rutgers dynamic as well. So, you know, keeping kids, New York kids in New York schools has been difficult for, for everybody. Um, but for them, you know, recently, Joel Soriano is a New York City product and was really good for two years at Fordham. I was really blossoming at the end of a sophomore year. But then the coaching change to Kyle Neptune happened and he chose to go to St. John's. And right now he's St. John's best player. Now, whatever that means, he is the best player of a team in the Big East, giving you a sense of, you know, what his skill set and his ceiling could be. And he leads America in double-doubles. Um, and then, but Fordham right now has a, a freshman point guard who you'll see a little bit on Tuesday night, Will Richardson. He's from New Jersey. Bergen Catholic is one of the best programs in this area. They've had a D1 pipeline. Zach Fremantle's at Xavier from Bergen Catholic. Um, and he's a huge part of Fordham's future. So they're, they're, they're doing their best to keep kids home. And, you know, I think if they can you know, put together multiple years of success, that's going to make Fordham a destination for um, for for kids to stay here. Or at least kids, you know, because there's programs right here like um, Lehigh. I don't know if you guys know that name, Long Island Lutheran, but that's a D1 factory. Now, that's in New York, but it's also full of kids from all, all parts of the country. But if they stay in the area, so to speak, then Fordham can be a destination for for that as well. Uh, and even now, Khalid Moore, who's a grad student transfer for Fordham, four years at Georgia Tech, he's from Long Island. He came, wanted he had one more year to play, wanted to have a bigger role in terms of offensive load scoring from a complimentary player at Georgia Tech. And he came, quote-unquote, back home, picked Fordham to play. And right now he's averaging 14 points and six rebounds for him. And, and that's kind of the question for everybody these days, right? Is like, how do you, in the landscape of college basketball now, where kids are, are moving, shaking, you know, transferring in, out, otherwise, how do you build the team, right? And, and I think um, in the Atlantic 10, it's, it's probably a more poignant question because we're not big time programs. You know, people at Dayton like to think that we are, but the reality is we're, we're a tier B program, if you want to call it that. And most programs in the A10 are, uh, probably a, a level below that, right? Where it's like you, you have to figure out, to your point, how to be competitive, maybe one out of four years. In Dayton's case, we like to think that we can be competitive three out of four years. Um, but how do you fill out the roster? And um, 
you know, to shine in the light on this year's Fordham team. You're now looking at 13 and three, which is, is kind of wild still. Um, they got it out a win against St. Joe's yesterday. We're recording here on Sunday, uh, January 8th. Um, for listeners' sake, St. Joe's came into Rose Hill and uh, they took an L. 66 54 was the final score yesterday. Fordham now 13 and three, one and two in the conference. And, um, your point's well taken. You know, they got transfers from Youngstown State, Quisenberry, who's a, a local kid from Springfield, Ohio. Um, you got a transfer from Georgia Tech. There's a guy that transferred from Penn State. And it seems like that's the way forward for programs like Fordham is let's get a couple of guys that are veterans, you know, stick around for three or four years, and then let's fill out the other side of the roster with transfers because it's very um, it's a very easy thing to do nowadays, right? Like you, you have – because the transfer portal is so deep, um, you can go out just about every year now and get guys that fit your roster and what you're looking to accomplish. And uh, on that same breath, one of the f- things that jumps off the page to me about Fordham that, um, you know, following the, the, the league for as long as I have, this is not really indicative of their program to any measure, but they're kind of an up-tempo offense that uh, isn't necessarily, um, they're not really built on winning 50 two to 50 slugfests anymore. Let's, let's go to that route. Like, is, is that kind of a product of, of Keith Ergo, the new coach, or um, is that just inherent for the, the guys that they have where they're looking to score a little bit more, be a little bit more up-tempo and take, you know, a little bit, uh, take a few more shots per game. Right. Yeah. I think they realized um, that they were kind of cutting it close last year. Like they, they, they can play defense, but, there wasn't always offense last year. And they also went through, you know, injuries for Darius Quisenberry late, which hurt them. Um, they had a really good player leave in the middle of the season, and he was their number one scorer, and that just took 17 points off the table. Drew Bohams had a really, really great year last year, historically good for Fordham's perspective. Um, but was even a guy, you know, wasn't a guy that you could just give it to down low and he'd go get points. So I think they realized that, they can play, like right now, their number is 70. They feel like if they get to 70 points, they should win most games because of the way they're going to play defense. Now, they didn't get to 70 yesterday against St. Joe's, but they held St. Joe's to 29 points in the last 30 minutes of the game. So the defense was just overwhelming, and 60-whatever points was plenty to get that done. Um, but I, I think they, you know, they, they like their diversity right now in scoring I think they need one more guy to pick up his game just a little bit Kyle Rose Antro Charlton uh, who's actually been good the last two games Rose was better non-conference scoring the basketball they really need a third guy to live in double figures right now to feel better about their offense but yeah they, they recognize that they needed to, to you know just give themselves a little bit more of a cushion if they can score and leave kind of people in their wake defensively that's their path to success so that's why they were happy to, to bring Khalid Moore in and kind of be that number two guy to Quisenberry and then find options three or four. Um, and that's Charlton, that's Rose, and then they got these two bigs, Simbila and Nowitzki, that kind of combined to be one really good big uh, on, on most occasions. Do you get the feeling that, uh, you know, it's a, he's only in his first year, he's, he's halfway through his, his first season here, Keith Ergo I'm speaking about, um, do you get the feeling that he's he's kind of trying to build something for the long term, or because I mean, there's and the reason I ask this, there's two schools of thought, right? Uh, we have this conversation all the time at Dayton. Would you rather have a guy that's using your program as a stepping stone, or would you rather have a guy like we have now, Anthony Grant, that 
would be there for the long term, you know, Dayton guy, Dayton grad, and isn't necessarily looking to take that next step. So I guess it's his first job. I guess I'm kind of curious what your perspective is of, of how he, um, you know, what the perception is of how he treats the job. Yeah, and you know what? It's a good question for the last uh, more than a decade now for Fordham because we went Tom Pacora into Jeff Neubauer, and those are two guys who were established head coaches, Pacora in this area. Um, Neubauer was at Eastern Kentucky for more than a decade having a lot of success, but, you know, they were not – and I can't say that this was – that Fordham was going to be their last job, but Fordham was, but they were, but they were already deep into their careers, and again, established head coaches when they took the Fordham job, and then, then they had to part ways with Newbauer. You know, they kind of were splitting the difference, looking at names, guys who have already done the job long term, or then guys who hadn't done it at all. And I thought the way to do it was to go young. Um, didn't have to be somebody's first job, which it ended up being for Kyle, but. I, I subscribe, you know, going back to one of your first questions about like where Fordham can live in the Atlantic 10. And I know they're no longer an Atlantic 10 school, but I've always pointed out the way Butler, and even like when I was in school, the way Xavier did it when they, when they were in the Atlantic 10, like it's okay if your coach leaves and then just the next guy slides down and becomes the head coach. Like that's kind of how those schools did it when Thad Mata would leave, and then all of a sudden, you know, Brad Stevens was there, and then Brad Stevens would leave, and so like it's okay if you if you come to Fordham and have a couple of good years, and you go and Fordham's a place for you to bump into the ACC or the Big Ten or the Big East. If people see the the value of that of the school, that's perfectly fine from from my vantage point, and you know specifically when. Kyle was hired, and at that point, you know, Kyle was on all these lists of top assistants, top guys under 35. This guy should be a head, get his first head coaching job. Like he had a lot of cachet around college basketball, and you know, I I think people wanted to hire a guy who was going to be there for 15 years, which is just not the way things go anymore. Like you just you're not going to hire Mike Shashevsky and have him be there for four decades. Um, it's just it does that's just not the way to go about your business. So I kept saying to people, like it's okay. Like, it's okay if five years from now, Kyle even goes back to Villanova then. I mean, I think that was always in everyone's mind. Like, whenever Jay Wright leaves, maybe that's where Kyle goes. But that would have been good news. The you know the specific bad news was it wasn't supposed to happen after like 15 months on the job. Um, but no, I you know to answer your question, I, I think that's another thing that that you know Fordham not aspired to, but it's okay to be part of the path to somebody getting to the top of the sport. But then here's Keith who, um, you know, is, is, has been that, an assistant in the top, you know, he was the associate coach for a long time at Penn state. And that was his title last season for Fordham. And, you know, he's not, he's my age and neither one of us is, is young. He's not new to this, but he's like, and you know, I asked him the other day for the first time, like, you know, are you kind of a chip on the shoulder guy? Like, do you know all the schools that didn't hire you and like you were thinking about them? He's like, you know, I just, you know, I had interviews, but I never felt like I was about to get a job. So I never like felt necessarily like spurned by anybody. Um, he just kept going about being a really good assistant coach. He even admitted that, you know, he was close to getting that kind of like, is this ever going to, am I ever going to get one of those head coaching jobs? And maybe if I don't feel closer to one soon, maybe I do something different in the sport. And then Kyle left. Now he's the head coach. His dad went to Fordham. He's been around the area. So he knew Fordham well. He, he frankly loves being the head coach at Fordham. So he may be here 
and it's you know obviously requires winning, but he could be here for a long time. Kyle was never going to be here for a long time because he was that good of a head coach, and maybe we're all overreacting to year one, but he he looked the part, and then the team again, it's all relative. Fordham had a, a really good Fordham season last year, so he was always on the trajectory to go get another job, just not this quickly. Keith, it'd be great for the program if they were that good that Keith got a higher job. But he really likes being Fordham's head coach, and I think it's bled down to the players really like playing for Fordham. And that was one of the things that kept popping up during non-conference play. You know, some of those games against lesser bad opposition were probably a little too close for comfort at times, but they always won because they seemed to care about winning. And I think that comes from him liking his position and the school so much. Yeah, and it's, it's right, huge. So let's like let's, it's, let's yeah. dive into the matchup a little bit here, a little yeah, bit. I well, want to talk about Quisenberry yeah. specifically. You know, Dayton guy, local guy for us. He's averaging career highs in almost every single offensive statistic, m- notably points per game, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free-throw percentage, assist-to-turnover ratio. He's basically improved apart upon every part of his game from last season. Uh, so what, what sticks out about Quisenberry to you, Andrew, and what kind of challenges is he going to present for this Dayton defense? Yeah, he's um he's old school. He's an old man. Like he just he knows how to score points. Um, he his three you know wasn't working yesterday against St. Joe's on Saturday, so he just put the ball on the floor, went to the rim, scored, falling down, getting thrown down, getting knocked down, got himself to the free throw line where you said he 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 hardly misses. So eighty six percent. You know, it's just it's he can give it to you in multiple different ways and knows how to get his points and they need it because he's their only elite scorer. Um, Khalid Moore again, the numbers look nice on paper, fourteen and a half points per game, but he's been a little off scoring it in these first three Atlantic Ten games. I don't know if that's just a slump or if that's the change in competition level that has been a, a little bit of a pass for him. But he also had a great game in their best non-conference win at Tulane. He and Quisenberry were great in that game down in New Orleans. So he's had some, they've, they've played some good teams. He's been good against them, but he's had three eh, offensive games so far to start Atlantic 10 play. So Quisenberry's got to be the guy that scores in bulk for them. And he just, you, know, you can't average 18 by accident. He just knows how to get there, whether it's three threes or it's, a bunch of three-point plays, and all of a sudden he's you know, 9 of 10 from the free-throw line, fatten up that scoring. Now, the immediate problem for him against Dayton becomes all of that length. I mean, it's just ridiculous, the amount of athletes and wingspan and athleticism that this roster presents, as you guys know. Um, so there's just going to be a lot of dudes all around him. So getting off his shot and getting around guys, getting under guys, getting through guys to the rim where Deron's waiting for him, it's going to be it's going to be an issue. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's kind of what, you know, it's the bread and butter of Dayton this year was um, his length. You know, it's, that's just how the roster's built. That's how Anthony Grant wants to play it. And, um, you know, early in seasons, we, we've had our struggles. But um, here we are again, like Dayton's kind of playing behind the eight ball like they were last year. But at the same time, they're starting to play better basketball. Pretty much, you know, one game at a time, they've been improving. And now I, I, you know, it's funny, man. I, I look down the conference, and I guess like a month ago, I was like, man, how how do we keep losing so many games in the non-con, right? And now people are like, wow, you, you've really come around on Dayton, and I'm like, well, kind of, but it's not because Dayton has got like so much better. It's because I have looked around the conference, and yesterday, um, notwithstanding. The conference is bad this year. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. Like, and I I can't. I follow the conference closely for probably about twenty years now. I can't ever remember a year like this where we basically were without top one hundred teams. Dayton's pretty much the only one at this point. Yeah, they were as of Saturday. They were barely in it, right? I think they were ninety eight in the net Saturday morning. Yeah, that's what I mean. And it's like okay, after Saturday now. Dayton's the only team that's left that's undefeated in conference play. We've only played like three games, like the whole conference. Yeah. You have three or four games, and everybody's taken a loss, and including uh, St. Louis, who who a lot of people thought was going to be the the um, the 1A and 1B to Dayton. But um, it's just surprising to me. And, and now that I'm looking down the schedule and I say, wow, like 15 or 16 wins is definitely possible for Dayton, given the length, given the talent. I mean, there's really just a, a talent disparity at this point that Dayton can exploit, and um, and they got to start, you know, on Tuesday night with Fordham. So, I guess my question for you is: uh, thirteen and three now, they beat up a lot of um, bad. Let me just call it what it is: they beat some bad teams. Uh, but when you come out of the non-con twelve and one, something's working. You know, whether you're beating bad teams or not, what surprised you about this Fordham team so far? Well, I mean, this is kind of where Fordham basketball is, right? I mean, I've, I've been around this program. I was a student uh, from 98 to 02, and I've been around them as a fan or covering their games you know, ever since then. So I, I've left Rose Hill Gym more than once, more than I would like to, wondering how they just lost to that team. Like like that to me was, you know, like they what they needed, what they never were able to do consistently is get to a point where, they always beat the teams they were supposed to. And then, you know, you've got a tough road game here or there or somebody good comes to town, you lose that game. It's okay if you've already beaten St. Peter's and Central Connecticut State and Maryland Eastern Shore who's been in the gym recently or, you know, a, a CAA school. So the thing that – and I so when they got – when they kept winning non-conference and people were noticing that they're just a record was getting pretty and then – the people were kind of throwing back the context of, okay, but every strength of schedule metric has you either dead last or near last in the conference in, in, in America. The, the revert, you know, my retour always was going to be right, but these are games that they, that they lost in the past. 
but this year they flirted with those games, but then didn't lose them. And they keep talking about their resiliency and their toughness, and they're not and they're not wrong. They just they never give up. They don't ever feel like they're out of a game. They would love to be have. Few, I said this on the air yesterday. They would love to have fewer reasons to use that resiliency. I mean, even just against St. Joe's, they come in, they're zero two, and they're down twenty one nine at home. And on paper, Fordham is better than St. Joe's. I don't think that's a, a a big thing to say. It's not a disrespectful to St. Joe's. I think just right now, if you line up the players, Fordham is better. They should have won that game yesterday, and they needed to because they didn't want to be 0-3, having to play Dayton on Tuesday night, and they were down 21-9, and they couldn't buy a shot early. And then, like I said very early on, I, I just had the stat in front of me now. They gave up 25 points in the first 10 minutes Saturday, and then they gave up 29 in the last 30. And they won by 12 going away from St. Joe's. So they put their foot down. They figured out their defense. They locked Eric Reynolds down for the last 30 minutes of the game, and, and they won on the easier side. The game before that against Rhode Island, they were down 25-7. They were down by 12. They were down by 14. And then they were down by two in the last minute. And if there was another minute, they probably could have stolen that win and get that. And even the Davidson game, that was probably their best defensive effort of the season. If they And they went three for 31 for three. If they hit five more threes, they might have beaten Davidson. And they so, like, they, this, this is a scrappy team. And... They're going to play super hard, when they're, like everybody else. When their shots go in, they've got a chance to win more than they're going to lose. Um, especially playing teams in the bottom half of the conference, you know that's where they need to take care of business. And they did on Saturday. They didn't at Rhode Island. Tuesday's a bigger test, but you know they they're in it. They and I said it. It sounds hokey, but it has not always been the case about this program. They care about each other. They care about playing for Fordham. They care about defending their home floor. Um, and in the past, some of those things didn't exist or weren't strong enough, and that's why they lost some head scratchers. But this year, you know, the only loss that I think really bothered people, like people wanted to win at Rhode Island. They think this it was a that was a good first road game in theory. That's a, a winnable game. It's not. It's the gym was not full. Um, and they didn't, and that one was like, uh, that was a little, that one, that one hurt. I think if you're a fan watching that, because especially you got a chance to bounce back from the ugly Davidson loss and the shooting in that one, not to get that one and being 0-2 took a lot of the kind of the the uh, the chest pumping from being up that 12 and one took it away. Uh, so Saturday was a good bounce back, and again showing that heart, showing that resiliency, flirting with a bad start and a and a kind of a, another deflating loss, and they rally and they win by 12. Yeah, so let's let's do that, right? Um, let's go that direction here. Wrapping up with Andrew Bogish, play-by-play man for Fordham basketball, getting you ready for Dayton and Fordham on Tuesday. Um, how does Fordham steal a win against Dayton? And uh, and, and I guess you can uh, shine some light on the last time that we were there. Did you do the play-by-play the last time that Dayton was was in Rose Hill? Yeah, that was in the middle of, of all the crazy COVID stuff. We were separate. We couldn't you know, we couldn't go even on the floor before the game. We couldn't touch the basketball if it like bounced in our direction and the ball had to come out of play. <laughs> I was se- you know, I was separated from my partner. He was like six feet down at a different table, so we were all spread out. And still the craziest thing of that night was Fordham winning that game. It 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 doesn't it doesn't make sense. But that was that was Jeff Neubauer's specialty. Um, you know, the overall record 
was not great when he was in charge at Fordham, but there were always a handful of games, one or two a year, that they won that they shouldn't have, and you really couldn't explain how they did it. There was a game when Rhode Island was having a really good season. They won a game at Rhode Island like 48-44 because they just choked the game and gave and, and just like stood and let the shot clock run down, and they somehow won that one. And then the last time Dayton came here, I mean, Neubauer literally sat on a chair along the baseline when the game was over, and he was equal part like hand face in his hands, equal parts like exhaustion because he was a maniac on the sideline, jumping up and down, running the sideline, took his jacket off, took his tie off every game, and so there was ex- exhaustion. And I think even he was like, "I don't know how we just pulled that off," because you know they were shorthanded, and you guys were dating, and it just it didn't make any sense. I mean. I, they won two games that year, and one of them was beating you guys at home. It was crazy. And, uh, do, do you remember uh, Anthony Grant sending the team out for for drills during halftime? Yes, thank what? you for reminding. Me. I forgot yeah. about that. They yeah. they all like, that's right. They were by themselves, just like shooting it was the most awkward thing ever, and they were winning. I think at halftime. I don't know if they were or not. I'm going to go back and look right now. It, Dayton lost fifty five fifty four, and I can tell you uh, from the other side of the fence. Um, I am looking this up. So it was 27-24 at halftime. Dayton actually was winning. But I, I can tell you that my reaction, I probably told this story on the podcast. And Drew, if you want to interject it to how you felt for this game. But that that year was so eye-opening for us because not that you thought like Dayton was going to turn the page and roll it over from 2020 and everything was going to be fine, right? But you didn't have losing to Fordham on the docket for that year either. You know, it was like that is kind of the bottom of the barrel for us. <laughs> like, you know, Dayton just doesn't lose to Fordham. We've lost once since 2005, and it was, you know, this game we're speaking about. And I remember that we were in the last uh, like 10 seconds because I think Dayton had the ball, they were down one. And it was like a slow burn of 10 seconds where I was like, all right, like we're not, we're not going to lose this game. Like we're not going to those get the bucket and then, you know, everything will be fine. And it's like, you know, this is at nine, eight, seven. And by the time we got to four seconds, I was like, oh my God, we're going to lose a Fordham. And, and I was just like beside myself. I was like, oh my God. And that was probably one of the only times that I was like, actually, like very angry about what I had just watched. And, you know, when you get older, it's like you start to, you start to be able to kind of separate church and state and like, all right, win, lose or draw. Like it's not going to affect my life or anything like that. That was one of the games where I really flirted with just losing it, you know, and, and like the game really making me like tangibly upset. But um, yeah, I did want to ask you about the the halftime warm ups because that was just like their drills or whatever. That was just the weirdest thing ever. I yeah, I, I thank you again for reminding me. I forgot about like looking down. All of a sudden, they were out there. There was so much time on the clock, and they're just in layup lines. And he was mad that they were only up three, which I think again illustrates. And I don't remember. I never look at those things. I don't know what the line on that game was. I don't know how people were how badly people were expecting Dayton to win. Um, But, but I mean, it was just, it's one of those games that I'll never forget being at, but I think to be, you know, a hokey Fordham defender for the moment, I I think it's safe to say now, while if Fordham was to win on Tuesday night, it would be surprising. It would be an upset by definition, 
but this program and this team is at a point right now where it's not okay to lose from your perspective. It's not going to be okay to lose at Fordham, but like the shock and awe of the the game two Januarys ago, that shouldn't exist on Tuesday. Like this is, there's no comparison between that team and this team now and what they're capable of doing. And, um, you know, that's, I think, again, that's a weird kind of backhanded compliment that in two years, like the, the Neptune and Ergo have kind of changed the dynamics so much that, again, it'd be a surprise and people would see it and go, really? But it would not be as stunning as what happened the last time the Flyers came to the Bronx. Yeah, I do there's agree a, with that. I think there's about yeah. five teams in the Atlantic 10 that I would like that I would rather not lose to than Fordham this season. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 know, I understand that's a very uh, backhanded compliment, like you just said, but sometimes the truth hurts. And there are like, like you said, I don't think the shock value of, lo- I mean, Dayton would totally overreact if we lost to Fordham. Let's keep it a hundred, but for sure. Uh, I would, yeah. there, there are, there are, I'm trying, what I'm trying to say here is, is that there are, many worse programs and programs that are in worse situations than Fordham. And I do agree that Fordham has begun the upward trajectory. And if they get all the pieces right and all the things going correctly for them, I do think they can be that middle of the road to upper, upper middle every once in a while program in the league. And that's not something I would have said four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They they've done it once guys. This might be before, um, before you guys are fully paying attention, or it's Dayton, you might have been paying attention from birth. Um, but there was one, there was one window when Derek Wittenberg was the Fordham head coach, and they had two good players, Bryant Dunson and Marcus Stout. And it was their junior year when Fordham got to the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the 18 tournament, like a little bit of a surprise. And then that set them up for, okay, these guys are coming back. It's their senior year. Kind of like I was saying, right? You find those kind of, you know, linchpin guys for your program you build you build you build and then their last two years are great they're they're seeing you end up being a dud but like that still is the way like we've they almost the program almost did it once so yeah. it's it's doable with all the right pieces in place and you know kyle is doing a great job keith is continuing that leadership is in a different place for the entire school now as well there seems to be more money floating around for things so um you know improvements on campus and whatnot um, so I, I, you know, this is, this is as promising as things have been for food and basketball, men's basketball in a long time. Now it comes down to the, these young men playing, playing good basketball. And at least to now they've won a bunch of games, which have definitely geeked some people up for what this, uh, what this winter might be like. Yep. Yeah. I remember the, the Derek Wittenberg era. That, that was while I was in high school. So like, I remember it happening because it's like, oh my God, like Fordham's actually good again. Um, but speaking of, of bad programs and, and taking tough losses, um, I would be remiss if I did not mention towards the end of the show that Archie Miller went to LaSalle again, Drew, and he took oh, another L at Tom Gole Arena. That extends Archie Miller's record at Tom Gole Arena to 0 and 4. The man just he can't he just can't win at Tom Gole Arena. And I, I got some Rhode Island fans in my mentions yesterday that were like, oh my God, like are you serious? Like he's never I'm like, oh yeah, like we lived through that. Like Archie That's could serious. not win at Tom Gola. <laughs> he still can't, dude. It's just absolutely ridiculous. But um that's this league man that's you know it's just the parody in this league um wrapping up with andrew bogish play-by-play man for fordham basketball getting ready for dayton and the rams tipping off on tuesday night andrew it was a pleasure to have you um before we get to final thoughts 
Um, wanted to wrap up with, you know, how does Fordham pull out a win on Tuesday against Dayton? Well, I mean, they've, I just had the numbers in front of me as well, too. They have not shot threes well in these three Atlantic 10 games. I think it's like 23%, including that three for 31. I've never seen anything like that against Davidson. They missed their first 20. They could not th- – I mean, it was it was almost comical – the open looks they were getting that were not going in and comical and heartbreaking. Um, and they're only 5 of 25 and beating St. Joe's on Saturday. So they need their shots to go in. Uh, they need Kuzenberry to get hot somehow. And they need, again, Moore's got to step things back up scoring production-wise. And they need that third guy to step in. And I'm fascinated by Holmes against, from a full perspective, Abdusambila and Rostik Nowitzki. Fordham's been talking them up since preseason. Sambila's been great blocking shots and rebounding. Nowitzki's more of an offensive weapon. But when you put them together, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, I think Holmes and Sambila are 1-2 in block shots. Um, so and, and Abdu in particular is physically built to hang with Deron Holmes in theory. Um, obviously, that's easier said than done. So, But I, that's the that's, it's obvious one. But... I want to see it in reality on Tuesday, how those three guys interact. And and maybe that's where the game is decided. If Sambila and Nowitzki can at least come close to kind of negating or matching Holmes' impact, that's that's obviously good news for Fordham. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, on our program, we give final thoughts to all guests and listeners, and um, that's that's what we do here. Uh, Drew, you want to kick us off? What are your final thoughts for the evening? We'll get over to you uh, before fi- we get to Andrew. Final thoughts, uh, Dayton. Kind of rolling here a little bit, heading into Fordham. Uh, I think the train keeps rolling as much of an upstanding job Andrew has done on selling us on the Fordham program, and they are heading in the right direction. I just think too much Holmes, too much Kamara. Uh, I think they take care of their business on Tuesday, and uh, the train keeps rolling. We stay on the only undefeated team in the Atlantic 10, and uh, business as usual. Yeah. All right, Andrew, your final thoughts. And again, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, guys, thanks again for having me, especially if I am truly the first Fordham guest. Uh, it's an honor to, to be a, a trailblazer, right? Um, yep. You know, this one, I, I, I got to be as objective as I possibly can, so I'm actually working this game. I, I think that the good news for food, from a Fordham perspective is it seems like Dayton's not going to show up at full strength, so anytime there are missing flyers, I think that's good news for anybody playing them. Um, I think the Rams have had you know, kind of got some of the bad feelings from their first two games out of their system on Saturday. And, you know, I do believe, while it may be unlikely to whatever degree, I think there's programs in the spot personnel-wise and coaching-wise where you need to be less surprised if they were to win a game like this. There is a path to winning this game for them, which is not something that you could always say, especially against high-end Atlanta 10 competition. But, you know, this is this is a game in their building that they absolutely that they that they could win, um, but it takes like always against a team like D, and it takes three, four, five things going better than you plan for, better than you expect. So it's a tall task, but it's not it's not an undoable thing for this team, um, especially because even if they take the early punch, they're not going to pack up and go home. Like they'll make Dayton work for forty minutes, and within that forty minutes, if they can find you know some openings and some shots to get back on the school, you know, like tight on the scoreboard, then that opens up the possibility for them finding a way to, uh, to steal be a really impressive W. You heard it here. Don't be shocked. If Fordham pulls out a win on Tuesday night, it could happen again. So don't be shocked. All right, Andrew told you, 
He prepared you for it, and that's why we did the Ford and Preview episode. So that wraps it up for us tonight. For Drew, for Andrew, I am your boy Sully, giving you another episode of the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10. Thanks for sticking around for a full 40 minutes. I'm going to reward you by taking you out with LaGrange by ZZ Top just because I'm feeling it today. That's that's exactly the kind of song I'm feeling. So you know there are two rules until we reconvene. They are wear red. Be loud, and we'll see you for the rapid reaction on Tuesday night after Dayton and Fordham. Later. I'm ready for
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.